1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Relationships are hard. And that's why I'm here. Hey friend, it's Kimmy Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics, the good, the bad, and the straight up shitty. Need advice? Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Be sure to follow us and subscribe so you don't miss all the hot goss. And if you're loving the show, please leave us a review. Talks soon bestie. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host Lauren McGoodwin and today I'm resharing one of my favorite interviews with Tess Biglin, author of Leap, leaving a job with no plan B to find the career and life you really want. In addition to really loving this honest conversation Tess and I have about leaving high status jobs without something impressive lined up, I also think it's very timely to reshare this conversation as so many people are thinking about what's next for them and their careers. Maybe that means no job. Maybe that means pursuing the good enough job. Or maybe that means staying where you are, but working on your attachment between your job title and self-worth. Whatever it is, I hope you really enjoy this conversation as much as I did back when it originally aired in December, 2019. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Well, thank you for joining the females, Tess. It's so good to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. So briefly tell us how you came to land your dream job working as a longtime radio host with Public Radio's Marketplace.
0: Oh, yeah, boy. I'm one (laughs) of the lucky ones. I actually didn't know anything about public radio until after my freshman year in college when I got an internship at the local public radio station where I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And they put me on the air on my second day. (laughs) <laughs> oh Wow. And I'd never done radio before. I was barely a journalist, but fortunately for me, they needed help. And so I basically fell in love with it that day. And so after college, I was a reporter in Portland, Oregon. I went back to that station, got a job. And then I went to Boston for several years and reported there. And then for various reasons, I decided to step off the track and go into a different industry. And did so for three years. And then fortunately, someone at Marketplace, which is the business and economics show for public radio, remembered the work that I had done and asked me if I would be interested in coming out to LA and auditioning to host the Marketplace Morning Report, which was the overnight program, business and economics program. And I got that job. And so it was more of a surprise than anything because they brought me back after leaving the industry. So I was very, very fortunate. And the only tough part was that I was scheduled to start two weeks after 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so when I got there, I moved from Boston. We were supposed to fly on... September 14th, (gasps) ended up driving across the country instead. And so when I started two weeks afterward, the New York Stock Exchange had just opened up. And it was just a weird time to be there because Marketplace was known for its kind of cheeky style of reporting. And that was not something you could do at the time. yeah. you know, people wondered if the country would ever get its sense of humor back. So dealt with that. And then shortly thereafter, all the corporate scandals started with WorldCom and Enron and Martha Stewart. And so it You're was like, drawn by them. fire when I got to Marketplace. Yeah. But I ended up staying for 11 years. Wow. Marketplace was the first place I ever sold a national story to. Back when I was a cub reporter, one of the prisons in Oregon was having prisoners make blue jeans and they became this hot fashion item. <laughs> so that was my first story that I ever sold. From that moment on, I was like, oh my God, I want to work there someday. Yeah. That is going to be the pinnacle of my career that someday I get to either report or even better, be a host, an anchor at yeah. Marketplace, because I just loved the style of reporting that they did, even though I knew nothing about business and economics. And then I got there by the time I was 31. And so for me, to get my dream job by my early 30s was just. Eh. It was a dream, right? And I loved it, and
1: I still love it. I still listen to it, and and I miss it. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> a great segue into my next question, which is, you left your dream job. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. I relate to this a lot. Prior to running Career Contessa, I was a recruiter at Hulu, and and people who've been listening to this podcast know this story, but like. I loved my job at Hulu. When I left Mm. and I gave my notice, I was crying and they said to me, are you sure you want to leave? And it was like, I was basically telling them like, yes, like don't ask me too many times though because I might change my mind. So I relate a lot to that. And I guess I did have a plan B, but you left this rewarding high status job that you loved without a plan B. How... Why? <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> it's no a good I'm just kidding. Question.
0: Because nobody does that, right? Right. You're not supposed to. You're that's not supposed sure. to. That's that's. More uh, of you're it. supposed to stay there. And you know, frankly, I thought that I would be there probably for the rest of my career. But at some point, toward the end of those eleven years, the culture started to get to me in that workplace, and I started to feel disrespected. By the people I was working for. Mm-hmm. I always loved the people I worked with. The people I worked for were a different story. And I found that I was going home crying way more often than any human being should. Yeah, You shouldn't accept that as kind of part of your work life. And so... There was just, there was a precipitating event that I felt was a bridge too far in terms of disrespecting me after almost a dozen years there. I had been thinking about it for a while, but at the moment that I decided to do it, I didn't have a plan. Right, I was angry and I was hurt and I handed him my notice and the sign to me that this was the right thing to do was when they didn't try to keep me. And so something was wrong. Something was amiss. You know, I still look back on it and I haven't quite figured that all out. Right. But I did leave without a plan. I gave them three months notice, mostly because I was on a long-term project with the New York Times. And so I didn't want to leave that. And so it's not like I, you know, had a hissy fit and up and left. Um, I also didn't want to leave them in the lurch without someone to host the show. And I also thought that I would have something else lined up by the time I left. I mean, I had three months and I was at the top of my industry. Of course, I'm going to have a job. But when I left, three months later, I had not taken any time to look for another job. Yeah. So when I left, I had nothing. I had nothing lined up at all.
1: It's interesting too, because it's like, it's a full-time job to look for a job. This is why, you know what I mean? Like, this is very true. How did you prepare, you know, financially and emotionally to leave without the plan B? Because obviously you knew in that three months at some point it was going to come to that end and you knew that you still didn't have it. Yeah, you'd think so. (laughs) I think so. No, it ended up being probably
0: the busiest three months of my career. Wow. Yeah, it was 2012 and there was a presidential election underway. So we were doing road shows. We were doing our program Marketplace live in cities across the country. Not only that, but I had this partnership project with the New York Times that I was working on. I literally did not have time to certainly not look for another job. But beyond that, I didn't have time to think about what was about to happen. Yeah, I really didn't. And I know people think that that's crazy, but part of it was financially, I knew that my then husband could pay the mortgage. Having that off my plate to worry about helped.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you and your husband discuss that or were you like, I have now put in my notice and now I want to talk to you about this financial piece? Like, I'm just curious how like premeditated you were with it. I mean, the day that I decided that I needed to quit,
0: I left after work and went home and cried again in my backyard. And when he came home, I told him, I said, this is the final straw for me. And he had heard all the stories. And I don't think he was surprised. And he said, don't worry, we'll make it work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We didn't really talk about it that much after that. Mm-hmm. I think in the back of my mind, I knew I could always freelance. Yeah. So I knew that I wasn't going to have no income whatsoever. Right. It wasn't something that I prepared for financially, emotionally, psychologically. Mm -hmm.
1: Nothing. I'm like so drawn into this. Now I need like step by step. So you, (laughs) (laughs) so you leave without this plan B. What happens in the first like maybe six months after you leave? What emotions and you know financial strains like anything like that that happens?
0: Oh, all of it happened. Yeah, that first week is like. Oh, I have the whole world ahead of yeah. me. This is amazing. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. I feel <laughs> yeah. so good. And I wasn't going to take it anymore. And I didn't.
1: <laughs> I showed them. Yeah, you're really yeah, proud of yourself. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and then Thanksgiving came along. So yeah. that was a nice distraction. You know, I had to deal with family and cooking and and all that. Then December hit. And that's when I kind of started going, Oh, uh, wait a minute. I I don't have anything to do. Yeah. And that was a weird feeling. After years and years and years in the workforce, where you know my time off was vacations, this time, I didn't have anywhere I had to be, you know I should have started you know networking right away, but I just didn't, and part of me wanted to take some time to figure out what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and I gave myself that time. Then the panic started because of emotional things, the real killer for me was not having a purpose. Yeah. Not having that, you know, that somewhere to go, someone to talk to. And that was just completely foreign to me. And it sent me down a bit of an emotional rabbit hole because I started to feel bad
1: about myself. Yeah. Because I was no longer a productive member of society. Did you notice sort of also were you becoming more and more aware of like how attached you were to the status? Oh yeah. Yeah. From my own experience oh, it yeah. was like, you know, when you get especially like marketplace, right? When your test from marketplace like that means something and now you go to a dinner party and people ask what you do if you know, I don't know. I get weird with it. Oh, that absolutely. In
0: fact I wrote a whole section about that in The book that I ended up writing about this experience, the idea that I used to go to places where I was with strangers. And of course, the first thing that everyone asks you, at least in America, is, what do you do? Yeah, And I had this awesome answer. Oh, well, I anchor a national radio show. You've probably heard of it in (laughs) PR, you know, and... You you probably listened to me. And (laughs) it was fun. And not only did I have this cool job, but I loved my job. Yeah. You know, some people have cool jobs that they don't necessarily love, but I loved what I did. So I could talk about it for hours on end. And people kind of would want to listen because the news is fascinating. And the production of news is fascinating. And when I suddenly didn't have that, I would go to dinner parties, to gatherings of, of all sorts, and I wouldn't have an answer. People would say, what do you do for a living? And what I defaulted to was, well, I used to be, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I'd talk about my former job. And then they would say, well, what are you doing now? And I say, well, I, I quit. You, what? Well, what are you doing now? Trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Oh, well, what are you, what are you doing with your days? i um, <laughs> not sure. You know, although I should have been on, you know, LinkedIn and I should have been networking. And I should have been having coffees with everybody and their
1: dog. I didn't. Do you think society is just uncomfortable with people who are in like in a gray zone? Because I feel like, oh, yes. Yeah. And like, um, in a way, doesn't that tell us more about the person asking the question than ourselves? But of course, we all of us beat ourselves up for not having a perfect answer to that. Yes. And it's something that when
0: I talk about this experience, it's something that I really emphasize to people is that you really need to get out of this cultural expectation that you are supposed to be climbing the ladder every day of your life. Right. It is uniquely American, or at at the very least, uniquely Western. There's no reason for it. The reason that we all obsess over our careers is because that's what we've been told we should be doing. And we're supposed to be striving to have the big house and the fancy cars and you know, the private school for kids and the fancy college. And that's just all cultural. It's not necessarily a norm everywhere in the world. And so I really try to tell people that they should try to carve out a point in their life where they're not doing that. I think it's really healthy to step off that treadmill, to step off that ladder that you're constantly trying to climb because it gives you perspective and it allows you to think about what else is out there. Mm People don't do that. And that's why you get kind of the side eye when you say, well, I'm taking a break from my job or I'm going to travel for a year or whatever it is. People look at you like you're crazy. So A, you're not. And B, what business is it of theirs?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Why do they care?
1: It seems to be like the currency around here though. Like, I went and met a friend for a drink the other night at this like place that you have to be a member of to go to, which is, uh, I have a whole other... Tangent on that, but I'll leave it. And the point (laughs) being is, like, right when I sat down, this person was like, So, what do you do? And he was like, Let me rephrase that. Basically, like, what do you do so I can see if it will help me? And it it was funny because at least it was like an honest way of like asking that question, which is how I feel like, What do you do? almost feels more like a I'm asking what you do to size you up or to decide Mm -hmm. if you can help me or decide if you're quote unquote good enough. How do we break that cycle? Because it does not feel good. And also, as you and I both know, having of having like cool jobs that people ooh and aah over, but it also does feel really good to have people ooh and aah over your jobs. So you're like, how do you like yeah. you have, have healthy ego Yeah, about that? It, Yeah, it's hard to square that circle,
0: but you're right. It, it's kind of the post-college equivalent of, oh, where are you going to school? Yeah. Right? Yes, Which yeah. also gets you judged. Yes. Or, you know, what fraternity or sorority are you in mm-hmm. while you're at college? That also gets you judged. Everything you get judged by <laughs> until you stop caring. Yes. And the way I have finally dealt with that is that I make sure when I am now in a situation where I'm being introduced to new people, that I do not ask them what they do for a living, you know, at least 10 minutes into the conversation. And then maybe it comes up but I specifically make an effort not to ask that question. And so, you know, then if you're starting to talk about something else, they're not going to ask you either. Because I have just decided that their work is not the most important thing about them. Mm -hmm. It's just not. I would much rather hear about your family. I would much rather hear about where you traveled to recently in your state or in your country or outside the country. Tell me about that. What did you do last weekend? What do you do when you leave work? Yeah. That tells me so much more about you than anything else. And I think that's even true when you have a cool job. Yeah. You know, even the cool job that I had, that was not the most important thing about me. And that's been a long lesson for me to learn. But it's something that I encourage everyone to really think about.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's one thing that we can all do today, like an actionable thing we can do today is do not ask that question until, you know, 15 minutes into the conversation, or if it's a very natural part of the conversation. I love your advice about asking people like, where have you traveled to recently? In fact, someone did ask me that I think the question was over the summer, someone was like, Where are you traveling to next? and it almost like I was like, Whoa, I, I'm sorry, I have to take a moment to think about this. What Just, planet are you from? yeah, because no one ever asks that. It's always the, you know, where are you from and what do you do? It's always a what do you do, and, yes. and look, all of us do it to be polite, but I agree with you. It's starting to feel like when it's the question number two, you are saying, This is the most important thing about you or the thing that I need to know. So I love that. I'm going to start doing that. You have a book and it's called Leap, Leaving a Job with No Plan B to Find the Career and Life You Really Want. So how did the book come about? Obviously, after you left without a plan B. Right. I had a friend who had been an interviewee on my show a
0: couple of times. And he was also part of a conference that takes place in Portland, Oregon every year called the World Domination Summit. And it Sounds kind of weird, but it's really, it's all creatives and entrepreneurs and people talking about work-life, work-life balance, how to bring creativity into every endeavor. And my friend asked me if I would get on stage in front of 3,000 strangers and talk about leaving my job and not knowing what I wanted to do next. And he asked me this (laughs) about two months into me being unemployed. And I wrote back and I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to get on stage and tell people that I think I made the worst mistake of my life and that I have no idea what I want to do or what I'm going to do next and I feel like an idiot. No, I'm not going to get on stage and do that. And he wrote back and he said, that's exactly why you should do it. So I started to prepare for that speech and this was about six months before I was supposed to give it. And in the meantime, I had become a finalist for a really, really amazing job at NPR. I was a finalist to host Weekend, All Things Considered, which is one of the prime shows at NPR. So this actually would have been the second dream job of my life. And I had convinced myself that I had only had one I was never going to get to. So long story short, it's a week before I'm supposed to give the speech and I still haven't written it because I know I'm going to get this job. And so I'm going to be able to get up on stage and say, quit your job because the next greatest thing is going to happen to you. Guaranteed, because it happened to me. Yeah, the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Yep, and I didn't get it. I was a runner up. And so when I got on that stage, the story that I told that I had written in the middle of the night over a span of about three hours was that I had taken this risk and that I was still in the thick of it. And I didn't feel very good about myself, but that I had to have faith that something was going to come along. That even these several months out, that it was really hard and that The hardest part was that I felt like I had lost my identity as a person, that I was going to continue to work through it somehow, some way. And I told, you know, a story that didn't have the fairy tale ending and 3000 people jumped to their feet when I was done. Wow. And that night I got an email from this guy who says, "Um, you don't know me, but I'm an executive editor with Random House. And I was in the audience this morning. And I think you have more to say. And 11 days later, I had a book deal.
1: Oh my God, that's amazing. I mean, I'm like emotional just listening to this because I'm like, oh my, you know, like, wow, that's so great. Now, again- that won't necessarily happen to
0: everyone. Right. You know, sometimes I hesitate to tell my story because it does become the fairy tale, but it took a long time. And to me, the lesson there is that sometimes you do have to continue to take risks for that next thing to come along. You have to, and you have to continue to have faith and you have to be honest about your story. Right. And I think a lot of people try to hide it. And it's just not
1: worth it. Yeah. I don't know. There's, you know, imposter syndrome is such a oh, buzzword, but yes. yeah, I mean, that runs like rampant when I'm sure, especially when you were the runner up, like I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Like <laughs> I would have been very quick to be able to tear myself down about like all the reasons why I didn't get it, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's, oh, absolutely. It's so easy to go there. And yet we all know, or like, you know, you hear in the research and hear these stories and you're like, do your best to not do that. Like try your best, you know, cause nothing, how does that help the situation, right? Right, that is one
0: of the hardest things to go through is imposter syndrome. I mean, I, you know, I felt that way before I got up on that stage and I had been delivering the news to millions and millions and millions of people every day. Yeah. (laughs) You know, for me to be worried about getting up on stage was ridiculous. That was imposter syndrome right there. But, you know, I was also telling a, very, very personal story. It was my heart and soul on a platter. And, you know, again, it's just take the risk. Yeah. Take it because you never know where that's going to get you.
1: Mm-hmm. When you were writing the book too, I mean, what were some of the key takeaways? You know, one of the nice things about writing a book about something is you get to become an expert and talk to people who have done, you know, taken leaps. So what right. were some of the key takeaways you learned about people who have made these successful leaps? And it's, and I, 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 I'm hesitant to use the word successful. Yeah, not all of them are. So like, I don't know, the good, bad, and the ugly, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's plenty of all three. My speech kind of went viral. And so I heard from people all across the globe who had either done the same thing or were wanting to. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed quite a few people who had who had left their jobs, left their careers without having something else lined up, without having really any concept of what they wanted to do. For some of them, it didn't work out. And they either ended up going back to what they left and not being terribly happy about it or going to something else that didn't fulfill them as much. And in that case, I think you just have to keep going and keep trying, especially in today's era where, you know, being at a job for just a year or two isn't a black mark anymore. It was when I was coming up, but it's not anymore. So you can always leave. The contract with the employer is usually at will. And, you know, you are not there to do them a favor. It is a transaction. So leave if you need to. But, you know, quite a few of these people who had left without having something else lined up had found something new that they wanted to do, either within their chosen industry, like going from, say, marketing to engineering or engineering to marketing or something like that. And I think the two main lessons that I really learned from those people, because again, remember, I did not plan anything (laughs) when I left. (laughs) The two things that you really, really need to prepare for are one, your finances. You have got to be prepared with your finances. You should have at least three, six months, preferably a year lined up so that if you don't find that next thing within a year, that you'll be okay, that you won't be shelterless. So really think about your finances think about your options. Can you move in with a friend? Can you join relatives? Can, you know Whatever it is that you need to do to get yourself to the point where you can leave.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the second thing is, again, and we've talked about this already, figure out who you are outside of what you do. Start thinking about that right now, because you never know when you're going to need a plan B. Or yeah. you're going to need to leave without a plan B. Think about what brings you joy outside of your job, mm-hmm. whether it's a hobby or maybe it's a cause that you really believe in, and start doing things that could potentially get you into those areas. So, for me, for example, I love animals and I have worked with a couple of different humane societies as a volunteer. And so, when I quit, I Thought about, well, you know, maybe I should look into something with the Humane Society. I did some looking into what kind of roles I could have there. But that's something that I think is much healthier if you start looking at that before you leave so that you don't have those kind of panicked moments that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, And there's no reason not to do that now. Even if you're in your dream job, you know, figure it out, start
1: thinking about it dream while you're in the dream. Right. And as you said, it's actually a good thing to be doing even if you're not leaving your job because your whole identity cannot be attached to your job, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: And when I left because
0: of social media and because of, you know, dinner parties and everything people knew that I was into helping animals, and so that was something that I also started talking about. Was you know the time that I spent at the shelter, the time I've spent raising money at an event for the shelter, or you know whatever it was. It gives you that answer that you need, and it also gives you that identity outside of what you're doing from nine to five every day.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. But again,
0: it's for building yourself a life outside of what you do for work. Mm-hmm. And if your answer to that is, well, I work so much that I don't have time, then you need to really think about your life. Yeah. And I know that's not a popular thing to say cuz we're all supposed to be striving for whatever and and we work our butts off every day. I've just come to the belief that I I don't think that's healthy. Yeah. I really believe that a life outside of work is terribly important. Now, of course, there are a lot of people in this country for whom work is an absolute must and work 12 15 hours a day is an absolute must so that they can support their families. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. And so if that's you, then what we're talking about here may seem a bit callous. But if that is you, then I would also encourage you not to leave your job without having something else lined up. Right. You know, there are income levels, there are situations where this is not the smart thing to do. So I come at this with a level of privilege and I acknowledge that. Right. But I also think that You know, sometimes we use that as an excuse not to make the changes in our lives that we need to make. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to pursue X, Y, and Z so that our kids can go to the best ever school. Well, do they really need that? Yeah. Are they going to be okay at the second best school? Probably so. Right. You know, people really need to take a look at what their priorities are. I think your priorities should be living the life that you want to live. We get one shot at this. You know, don't spend your days, day in and day out being miserable. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it. You deserve better.
1: (laughs) I am eating this up. I'm like, yes, yes. I wish that was something that more people talked about like what you're saying like hey I left and it was scary and I was an emotional mess. Like very few people actually share that. And so you're right. Like your story, while it is you know kind of quote unquote a fairy tale, you're not skimming over the tough parts. And I think that's important because obviously we don't want anyone to leave this podcast thinking, oh, walk in today and quit your job and it's all gonna be great. You know, it's hard. It's
0: really, really hard. And in ways that That you won't expect it to be. Mm -hmm. I did not see coming the psychological, as I said, rabbit hole that I was going to go down because I didn't have my, you know, my cool identity anymore. I had no idea what that was going to do to my psyche. Right. And it lasted for a long time. I still get twinges of it, you know? Yeah. But I'm glad I went through that process as tough as it was, as hard as it was. Because I'm now in a place where, you know, I just don't value that as much.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, too, you could have stayed in your job, but it wouldn't have been healthy. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like, do you ever think back? You're like, where would I be if I was still in that job? I mean, is it pretty obvious that? that
0: Yeah, I do sometimes. And I don't think it would have gotten better. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it would have gotten worse. And I don't know what that would have meant for my mental health. Yeah. It was already really tough and it was tough on my physical health. Mm-hmm. I I lost hair. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, this is another lesson that, that was very common to a lot of people that I interviewed for the book is that your body will start screaming at you when it's time to go. Something will manifest, whether it's a new backache or, you know, something happening with you that's unexplained by anything else in medicine. And that was me with hair loss. There was nothing wrong with me. They, they checked every level of everything. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing except stress
1: wow. that I
0: didn't even realize was as bad as it was.
1: Yeah. No, so you
0: have to pay attention to yourself. Yeah. Your gut will tell you what you need to do. So, and paying attention to it is one of the hardest things, right? Because
1: you got to be able to listen to it and hear it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But what are some of the warning signs to look out for when you're asking yourself, should I quit? Obviously, what you're saying is like your body will start to manifest in in, in physical ways. And probably also emotional ways as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, people talked about back pain, sleeplessness, migraines that were all unusual for them. Yeah. So you really do need to pay attention to your physical being because it will tell you when something's wrong. The second thing I tell people if they're you know, trying to figure out whether it's time to go is that it's time to go when you have too much self-respect to stay. This is why I left before I even knew that the physical manifestations were happening. I demanded better. Mm-hmm. I needed to leave because at that point, they didn't deserve me. And I didn't owe them. It's a business transaction. And you need to do an emotional cost benefit analysis. Yeah. I did that. And this was my answer. Right. And the third thing that I tell people is that it's time to go. When you are asking yourself the question, how will I know when it's time to go? hmm It's past time to start thinking about how you're going to make it happen. The fact that you're even asking that question means that something isn't right and you need to start dealing with it. You need to start thinking about it. You need to start Mm -hmm. You know, evaluating all the stuff that we've been talking about.
1: One thing I find fascinating too, and it feels like there are people who are getting laid off from jobs left and right. And maybe this is just maybe in my own world, but I do feel like I know more people getting laid off recently than before. And that's not to freak everybody Mm. out, but it is to kind of point out like, hey, let's also be really thoughtful about this. Like, is it a smart thing to potentially do that if you think that maybe it's going to be harder to find a job in the future?
0: Yes, always. You should prepare for something happening that is going to create change. Yeah. And it's hard to do that in our everyday lives, right? I mean, you just kind of, you go in day in and day out, maybe you're taking care of the kids, taking care of the family, taking care of the dogs and the cats. And, you know, it's it's hard to think outside of your everyday existence, but you're right. I mean, you know, what if a recession comes? Right. Are you in an industry where that could be affected? Well, pretty much any industry could be affected by a recession. Mm -hmm. So not only is it smart if you're thinking about leaving regardless of the economy, but if you start this kind of exercise now, even if you love your job and you can't imagine you're ever going to leave it, But what if the economy makes it so that you don't have that choice? Yeah. Then you've done some work to prepare yourself. And that's the case whether it's voluntary or involuntary. It will cost you nothing to start thinking about this stuff. Start making lists. Start putting up those dream boards that people put on Pinterest. You know, start really thinking about what brings you joy in life and what your options could be if the worst case scenario happens to you. Right. It doesn't cost you anything. And it actually might kind of turn on your brain in a different way than it is right now. Because when you start thinking about all the possibilities in your life that could open up to you, there's something
1: about it that just,
0: it'll get you excited.
1: Yeah. Even if you never, ever follow through on any of it. Well, and I think there's also side effects to knowing that you're going to be okay if it doesn't work out. And those are very positive side effects, I mean, you know?
0: Yes, they are. And, you know, particularly financially, which is, you know, this is everyone's main concern always when change comes is what is it going to mean for my finances? Mm -hmm. Well, I used to host a personal finance show. That's what I did at Marketplace. And one thing that we used to talk about, (laughs) and I'm trying to think of, a way that we could say this, uh, well, it was an FU fund. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you have that, or if you have plan B in your back pocket, at least in a frame of it, an outline of it, the confidence that that will give you to face not so great things Yeah, is enormous. That's the one thing that I wish I would have had is that notion that I was prepared for almost anything. I am now. I think I'm just psychologically, emotionally stronger than I was seven years ago. Yeah. You know, again, there's no downside to it. There is no downside to having, you know, a financial cushion. There is no downside to starting to volunteer at places that might hold an interest for you. Or there's no downside to asking someone for coffee in an industry that you're not familiar with just to kind of see what their work life is like. Right. There is no downside to any of that. So
1: why not carve out an hour a week to think about that stuff. Right. I interviewed this reader once and she does that every Friday. She calls it career development Fridays. And every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m., she focuses on her career development. And it's like, sometimes it's just following up with someone, you know, that she met at a networking event. Sometimes it's like learning a new skill. But Mm -hmm. every Friday, she dedicates an hour to it. And I think that's so smart because also what we're talking about is like, there's no downside to this. There's only upside. And It will make you, I, I mean, I, I remember my mom telling me like, you always want to have FU money, you know? So like if yep. you don't want to get in the car with the person that night, you can just be like, I'm calling the cab kind of thing. And I agree. We get a little too far away from feeling like this isn't in our control, but actually you have a lot more control than probably you think too.
0: You do. You know, and again, I know that there are probably people in the audience who say, no, I mean, I'm in a situation where I have no control over any of this. And, you know, I understand that and I have empathy for that. And I guess what I would say is that take five minutes then. Mm -hmm. If you can't take an hour, take five minutes a week and think about this stuff and think about how you can make your life better in whatever way it is, whether it's, you know, for your mental health or your physical health or the sense of accomplishment that you have at work. Take that five minutes. Go on YouTube and find a video for some new skill that you think would, do you good. Yeah. Um. Whether it's, you know, uh, knife skills for cooking or, you know, SEO, if you're in marketing, you know, wh- yeah. whatever it is, take that five minutes a week to bring yourself a little more confidence in who you are and what you can do.
1: Right, right. No, I, I love this. And have your views on quitting without a plan B, have they changed from before to now? <laughs> you know... I think about that a
0: lot. And I think they haven't actually. (laughs) Um, My life has taken a million different turns since that massive decision that I made. And some of them I've looked back and thought, should I have done that? And then I think, well, but that led to this thing. So... No, I mean, again, you have to be very careful in encouraging people to make this sort of leap that you are not doing it blindly yeah. and that you are not doing it in a way that is going to put your life at risk, put you know the shelter over your head at risk. But that said, I think that we make a lot of excuses for why we can't do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you start to prepare mentally, financially, Physically, I don't see any reason why you can't give it a shot. Right.
1: Right. Well, and just to bring it full circle. So you left your job, then you were able to write the book. Where are you now? Yeah. So the book came out
0: in 2015. Took me a couple of years to write it. And as the book was coming out, I was also in the middle of getting a divorce, an amicable one, and we are still friends. But it was a divorce nevertheless. And so we were selling the house in Pasadena, California. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, I, I didn't have a marriage. I didn't have a home, a house. I didn't have you know, the yard to take care of. I was freelancing, you know, I'd just written a book. So I didn't have a, you know, a job job yeah. as, as people think of a traditional <laughs> job. So I decided that this was the time for me to cut all of the strings. And I booked myself a one-way flight to Vietnam where I'd never been. i had never set foot in Asia. And I put all my stuff in storage and I left for what I thought might be maybe a one year away Maybe four months in Asia, four months in Africa, four months in South America. And I was using house money. Mm-hmm. We sold the house and made some money on it. And instead of putting it into the retirement fund, which I know I'm supposed to do, <laughs> I, I decided not to. So a year came and I forgot to come back. And I I ended up traveling and living abroad for almost three years. And I went and visited 20 countries in that time. I came back in August of 2018. And since then have been doing some freelance podcast projects and some audio learning courses and just a bunch of really interesting things that again are not, you know, they're not the fancy job that I used to have. And they're not the things where millions of people are listening to me every day, but I'm getting joy from them. And I'm back in Portland, Oregon, and I'm basically working from my home Mm -hmm. and I'm really happy. Yeah. And I don't know what the next thing is going to be. Right. I really don't. I have no idea, but I've gotten very comfortable with that.
1: Right. I love that. My next question was going to be, "What's the last courageous act you made?" So I feel like you, that answers it all in itself. But I mean, <laughs> I really love that you use the word joy too, because I think that's what it's about. We're all striving for happy, but maybe joy is re- what we need to replace that with.
0: I absolutely agree. I think happy is a problematic word. I think yeah. happiness is a pro- problematic word because of the what we associate with it, and it's you know just this you know kind of. A bunny rabbit bouncing up and down, you know, yeah. (laughs) you just got to be happy, happy, happy. Right. And I find that joy is a much better marker for me. I have days where I'm not necessarily feeling happy, but I still have joy in where I am and what I'm doing and what my life is bringing to me right now. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy. I certainly have stress. I certainly have worries. But I do have a sense of contentment and quite often joy. And I mark my life by those two things.
1: Yeah, I love that. So we'll move into rapid fire. Okay. (laughs) So the first one is, 2020 has you looking forward to? Mm, More travel. I haven't really done any
0: since I came back and I I missed the road.
1: Yeah, when you forgot to come back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You wind down by? Photography. I started teaching myself photography about four
0: years ago. And this is one of those things that I decided I was going to learn this as Mm -hmm. something outside of what I do. And now getting my camera and going out into the streets really just, again, that brings me joy.
1: I love that. Your favorite and least favorite part of the book writing process was? Favorite part was the interviews. I love talking to people, it's my favorite thing on earth.
0: My least favorite part was marketing. Yeah, I hate having to sell
1: myself <laughs> in
0: any way, shape, or form. I'm so uncomfortable with it, and I loathed it.
1: Right, marketing is always a struggle, and it never ends. <laughs> yes, and looking back, you'd tell your younger self, "Don't wait until the timing is perfect mm-hmm.
0: for anything. If you feel like you need to do something, do it. Right, pay attention to your gut, listen to it, listen, 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 listen." it will rarely steer you wrong.
1: I agree. Well, Tess, thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your story. It was very courageous of you. And where can people, you know, follow up with you or follow your journey, buy your book, all that good stuff? Well,
0: you can buy my book uh, pretty much on
1: any platform that you choose. Uh, wherever you <laughs> buy it. The
0: internet, your books. <laughs> yeah. And I'm more than happy to have new friends on Facebook. So send me a request. I'd be more than happy to uh, say yes to that. I'm also on Twitter at Tess Viglin. Instagram at Tess Bigland and then my travel website was tessuntethered.com. I cut all those strings. so yeah. I was untethered while I was traveling.
1: I like it. Well, thank you so much again, Tess. Lauren, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this recycled episode of the Queer Contessa podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. In addition to Tessa's book, Leap, I'd like to also highly recommend my own book, Power Moves, if you feel like you're at that career crossroads. Power Moves will teach you how to pivot, reboot, and build a career purpose. Plus, it's been described as, quote, like having a cheat code to building a successful career and avoiding the obstacles that trip most people up. We've linked to Power Moves in the show notes, along with all of Tessa's resources.